Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, again, we welcome you. It is great to have you. If you would be open your Bibles to John, the 10th chapter. Uh, if you have your pew Bibles, that'll be on page 950, and we won't have uh, slides tonight. So if you do have your Bible, be sure and open it up. We'll stay there in the book of John for much of the evening. We want to encourage you. If you have been thinking about, even if you haven't been thinking about it, we want you to be thinking about the stateside mission trip that will be in June. Now, the reason that's important to think about it now is because the deadline is next Sunday because we have to make plans pertaining to the hotel uh, reservations that we have to make. Now, this will be a campaign that's a little bit different from some of our past campaigns because this year... We're going and working with a congregation that their first Sunday to ever meet was today. And so when we meet with them, they will have only met about 10 Sundays. It is a congregation in one of the most northern counties in Kentucky. It's Grant County. It will be, once it has begun today, it is the only non-instrumental church of Christ in that entire county. There are very few churches of Christ in that area of Kentucky. And so it's a wonderful mission work for us to be a part of. It's wonderful to think that we can go into that town of uh, Dry Ridge, Kentucky, and we can knock every door, invite everybody to a gospel meeting, invite everyone to study the scriptures with us, and think of the seeds that can be... uh, Planted in the lives that hopefully good would be a part of that community for generations to come. The trip begins on a Friday afternoon, June the 8th. And then we will begin knocking doors on Saturday through Wednesday. The gospel meeting is concluded on Wednesday evening and we return home Thursday. So please, if, if you're planning on going on that, go ahead and sign up. If you're thinking about it, go ahead and ask various ones the question... Dennis Nozel is leading this this year. Most of our elders go on this. There are many in this congregation that have been on those. Ask around and you can find someone that can give you uh, all kind of uh, answers to your questions. And so keep asking enough people to get the answers you want and, uh, and then decide to go. Uh, make sure that you give this serious thought. It is a blessing, hopefully, for the ones there. But I know it's a blessing for us as we go and, and we're a part of it. So I hope that you can make your plans to be a part of that. We welcome our fourth and fifth graders back. They were on a retreat, left out Friday afternoon, and they returned uh, today. And we are glad that they are with us. We missed you this morning, but we understand you had a tremendous retreat. And we're thankful for that and thankful for each adult that led that and was a part of the lives of our young people. What a blessing we have here at Mount Julia to have so many adults that's willing to invest their time, their energy, their heart, their knowledge with our young people Can you imagine stoning someone to death? Can you imagine throwing rocks at someone until they die? Can you imagine throwing rocks at Jesus? Today we think about some deadly rocks. It's hard for me to imagine what would move individuals to throw rocks at the only perfect, man who's ever lived. It's hard for me to imagine throwing rocks at God incarnated in flesh. As we look 
to John the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 22, I would like for us to work our way to the end of this chapter in this time. And as we begin in verse 22, we see now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now it's interesting that the Feast of Dedication came after the Feast of Tabernacles, which it was usually mid-October. Feast of Dedication usually came, of all things, on December the 25th. Now it wasn't a celebration that was passed down from Moses. This was one that the Jews came up with on their own, probably about 160 B.C. It was to commemorate the temple, the cleansing of it, the celebration. It was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of much illumination. And so therefore, sometime tradition calls it the Feast of Lights. And so it is, Jesus was going into Jerusalem and He was going to celebrate this particular occasion. Now, if you'll notice, it was winter there in verse 22 that's mentioned. 23, Solomon's porch is mentioned. We're trying to get the setting in mind here. Solomon's porch was probably a couple of football fields long in size. It would be a huge porch. But you can imagine with it being a porch, there would be a back to it. In other words, a place that one could easily find himself if he was against the back of that wall, surrounded. Did you notice that wording there in 24? Then the Jews surrounded him. They literally were holding him in place, at least to the best that they could. They were hemming him up, if you would. They wanted to know something. They wanted to know, and they even said it, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? They had no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth was alive because he stood before them. They had no doubt that they understood that this man could work some powerful things and preach some powerful messages. You see, the fact of whether or not he lived or not, and and even some of the things he did, were not necessarily what was being debated. What was being debated here, are you the Christ? Now, we know that it was this kind of jealousy of individuals that literally put Jesus on the cross. But for just a moment, I want you to think about, there could have been some people in that midst that had just an honest a sincere type of curiosity, of doubt. Even though they'd heard a lot and seen a lot, there was still just enough wondering, hey, are you really him? Do you remember John the Baptist from his prison cell? He even sent word trying to find out and confirm, are you really the one? And so there were some good people that still had concerns, are you the one? But now there were also some people that weren't so good. And that's what the rest of this story concentrates upon. And so they said, tell us plainly. That's the challenge at hand. Do you have that setting in your mind? Jesus is kind of hemmed up there. He's surrounded in Solomon's porch. And they say, we want to know. Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Now, he hadn't been going around and saying in an open fashion on on oft occasions, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. It hadn't been with that much plain type of announcement, clear announcement. Notice what Jesus says here, though. Jesus answered, we're in 25, John 10 and 25. He answered and told them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness on me. But you do not believe me because you are not my sheep as I said to you. 
My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I'll give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now it's interesting here that some would say, see, in a way he still wasn't real clear. Are you the Christ? He never said there, I am the Christ. But yet he did say, I've told you and you won't believe. And then he goes to this measure. He says, listen, my works have been saying it over and over. Now we could look at many works that Jesus did to prove that he was the Christ, the Son of God. But he's standing in Jerusalem here. So if you would, fan with me through a few pages of the book of John. And let's look at a few things that Jesus did while he was in Jerusalem that were works. Works that proved something tremendous about Jesus of Nazareth. Drop back, if you will, to John, the second chapter. In John, the second chapter, we see the cleansing of the temple. And we're only going to scan these stories, but in these stories, we're going to see that these works prove that He is Jesus the Christ. He found the temple in verse 14. Those selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. In 15, he drove them out with his cord. And notice what he said in 16. He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, how did he refer to the temple there? He didn't just say, listen, we need to take care of the temple. He said, this is my father's house. This is what he said in Jerusalem as he was taking a very authoritative role of cleaning out the temple. And then when we read in 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? So they wanted some kind of proof of his authority. Look at 19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Now in 20, they were shocked by that because it took 46 years to build this temple. Now drop down to 23 and notice the next paragraph. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. You see what's happening here? He's doing works like cleaning out the temple. And he's saying things that just a man would not say. And he's doing powerful things to back it up that a man couldn't back it up. And then the result is many are starting to believe in him. Many are believing that he is the Messiah. Go with me, if you will, to the fifth chapter, Pool of Bethesda. In the Pool of Bethesda, we see the man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. You see that in the first few verses of the fifth chapter. And as we look down through here, notice what he says to him in verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And of course he did. And this gained quite a stir among the people that knew this man. They knew now a a tremendous miracle had taken place. And look at 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, the story we're studying night out of the 10th chapter, we're going to see in a minute that they were ready to kill Jesus on that particular occasion. Don't be confused in the sense of believing they only tried to kill Jesus once. There were several times that they would grow so frustrated with Jesus that they would try to kill him. Here's just another example of how they sought to kill him. And look at 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only spoke of the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, we're not going to read this whole next, the rest of this paragraph, but I want you to just get in mind how he answers these people. Look at 19. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself. For what He sees the Father do, for whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. You see the emphasis that Jesus is placing again? They want to know who He is, how are you doing these things? And He's continually saying, I'm doing things that only I can do if I'm the Son of the Almighty Father in heaven. Notice as He says in 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. You see, again, Jesus is placing the emphasis on, you can believe I'm the Messiah if you just look at the works I do, because nobody could do that unless they were of God. Look, if you will, to John, the seventh chapter. We have the Feast of the Tabernacles. If you'll notice there in the seventh chapter in verse two, the Jews gathering Feast of Tabernacles. So this would have been mid-October. It was at hand. And as things are taking place, we're going to skip down into the paragraph that begins in verse 10. Now keep in mind, Jesus is from Galilee, and you've got to look at this imaginary map here. Jesus is from Galilee, coming down through Samaria, we're coming down to Judea. Now, when down in this area is where if you were going to be a Jew of a Jew, so to speak, you would be from this area. And if you're going to go to the great schools, the great rabbis, they were in this area. They knew Jesus of Nazareth had never been educated in this particular area among their great rabbis. And so that's really what is the discussion of this whole paragraph. The idea is how in the world does he know? Look in verse 14. Now about the middle, and this is John 7. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine's not mine but His who sent me. Now friends, maybe we have read this so many times that we, maybe it just hasn't, uh, maybe we take it for granted. But I ask you tonight, hear it afresh. Almost every time Jesus was pressured about how do you do it? How do you know so much? How do you speak with such authority? How do you perform much miracles? Almost every time He took it back to His Father. I can speak like this because I'm of my Father. I can perform miracles like this because I'm of my Father. I have this kind of knowledge because it's not my knowledge. It's of the Father. And you remember the very beginning of John 1 and 1, that He was the Word that came to earth. In other words, He was the message of God. Friends, everything in Jesus' life was about the Father. Now, we'll just pause here for just a quick application. If you and I are going to live a rock-solid life of faith, our life has to be about the Father. We need to learn what the Father would have us to learn. We need to be about works that the Father would have us to be about. Whatever power we have in our life, we need to make sure that it's power God has given us and not the power Satan would tempt us to gain in our life. Jesus, a tremendous success story to study. But isn't it interesting that every time he was pressured to say, how do you accomplish this? He never said, well, uh, you know, I've just had a lot of blessings in my life and I've, I've developed myself and I've taken advantage of opportunity. No. It's just almost like every time he says, let me tell you about my father. Look with me, if you will, one more time to John, the ninth chapter. Let's see this again. Just as, now keep in mind, what we're looking for here is we're looking for the works. The works that, that when he does them, the only way he could do these 
would be that He's of the Father. And we're scanning through the book of John to see the ones that He did in Jerusalem because He's talking to these people in Jerusalem. And they're saying, we, we just can't understand. Are you really the Christ? And He's saying to them, it's so plain. Just look at all my works that I've done right in your midst. Every one of them just shout out the fact that I am of the Father. And, and we look in John the ninth chapter, and it's the story of the blind man being given sight. And of course, this is a long story here, and it's a beautiful study, and it shows a lot about the nature of these scribes and Pharisees. And so as this man is finally healed, look in verse 6. When he said these things, he spat on the ground, and he made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and they told him to go wash, and when he came back, he could see. Can you imagine how wonderful that was for this man? But everybody else wasn't celebrating with this man. They were wanting to to know why he'd been healed on the Sabbath. And so they call in the parents. And, and if you start in verse 13, on down through there, they're really uh, trying to put the parents uh, to the toe the line here, to own up to this, to take some kind of responsibility for this horrible act that's been committed that he'd be healed on the Sabbath. Now keep in mind, that only violated their tradition. I've heard people say, and, and they mean well, but I just want you to know it's not true. They'll say, well, why is it that Jesus could violate the Sabbath and do things like healing? Friends, He didn't violate the Sabbath in order to heal. That was their traditions that He violated. He didn't violate the will of God. And so they are so concerned that He's violated their traditions and that He's done things that they could not tolerate and accept. And so He's testing the parents here. Look at verse 25. When they finally test him about it and they question him about it, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. What a beautiful thought. You mean this guy had to be a sinner if he healed you on the Sabbath. You're telling me that a sinner healed you. I don't know what he is. All I know is that I can see. That's a beautiful thought. And then we come down to 35 and Jesus catches up with him. Because by the way, by this time now, this guy has been thrown out of their uh, acceptance, if you will. And now he can see, but now he doesn't have his, his uh, fellowship, if you will, among the scribes and the Pharisees. And so Jesus heard, verse 35, that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, and this is Jesus talking to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, did you catch that? Jesus did confess plainly to a few individuals that he was the Son of God. Remember when the apostles are set around and he asked, Who do men say that I am? Uh, the Samaritan woman, he plainly confessed to her that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. This is one of those occasions where speaking to an individual, he plainly confessed it. And notice he says, At the end of 35, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he? Lord, that I may believe in Him. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen Him, and it is He who is talking with you. Then He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshipped Him. Drop down to 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with Him heard these words and said to Him, Are we blind also? And then He kind of talks to them about their blindness. Friends, We've just gone over a few of the things that took place in Jerusalem. Powerful miracles. Powerful words. The powerful act of cleansing the temple, of giving a man sight, of giving strength to uh, a paralytic. When we look at these things, all of these things each time, he pointed out, it's because I am the Son of God. Now, when we go back to John the 10th chapter, the text that we're studying from, 
I'd like for you to notice what he said. Now, that was back in verse 25, that point we just developed, where he says, just look at my works. They plainly speak it. But I want you to notice in verse 30 what he said. When he's concluding this paragraph, he says in 30, I and my Father are one. Now, probably in your translation too, if you have uh, the word my, it's probably italicized. In the original text, He's placing an emphasis on the Almighty God that it can be plainly understood. What he says here is, I and Father are one. In other words, he's referring to the Almighty God. And he's saying this is real clear. Me and the Father are one. Now, at this time, look at 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Many good works I have shown you from my Father. Now listen to this touch of sarcasm. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. You see, he reminds them of the works that he did. He reminds them that what his works communicated, and then in sarcasm. So, you've picked up those rocks. I suppose you're going to try to throw those at me, but I'd just like to know. Which good work did you not like? No, what we didn't like is you claimed to be the Son of God. Friends, why could they not see it? He fulfilled all prophecy. All of his words spoke with such authority. All of his acts with such power. Have you really thought about why could they not see it? They had conjured up in their mind what their Messiah would look like. Many of them probably believed that their Messiah would free them from the Roman yoke that was heavy upon them. Many of them probably believed that their Messiah would come back and set up the throne of David literally in the city of Jerusalem. Many of them probably thought that it would bring freedom from the oppression of the Jews. That that would mean probably a financial benefit also in their life. That man from Nazareth did not fit that mold. Oh, he fit everything that God prophesied that he would be. And the truth is, even his acts were such powerful that he didn't fit their mode. The application for me tonight is to make sure that I haven't conjured up in my mind a mold of what Jesus would be. A mold in my mind of what Jesus would like and what he wouldn't like. You know a dangerous statement to make? When someone says, I don't think Jesus would care at all if we do that. Friends, we don't need to be thinking for Jesus. We need to go in and see what the Word of God says and listen to Jesus. Well, I just feel like Jesus would be fine with that. I can't feel for Jesus. You can't feel for Jesus. We need to go in and see what Jesus' covenant teaches. You see, we also have conjured up our form of Jesus when we start thinking and feeling and Believing for Jesus instead of listening and studying and looking for Jesus. 
Now, with this in mind, I'd like to point out to you as we finish this paragraph, verse 36. Notice what Jesus, how he described his relationship with the Father. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming? Because I said I'm the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do... Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. Three things quickly they said. He says, the Father has sanctified me, the Father has sent me, and the Father is in me. That's wonderful things to know about Jesus. He was set apart to come to this earth. He was sent by the Father. And while He was here... The Father was in Him and He was in the Father. Talking about that unity that they had. Now, notice again. Here we are again, verse 39. Therefore, they sought again to seize Him, but He escaped out of their hand. Now, our closing point that I'd like to make briefly. Look at 40 through 42. You might say at this time, poor Jesus. Everything seems so bad. No. Things may seem bad at a moment, but there's always a better turn. Look at 40. He went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. Now notice this, and there. Notice that word there. There he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. As we are about to extend the invitation, don't grab your book yet. Just give me just a few more minutes. But as we're about to extend the invitation, think about this. In the symbolism of this story, are you in Jerusalem or are you there? Back where John the Baptist first worked, John had really prepared the soul well, apparently. Here in Jerusalem, they had seen such great miracles of Jesus. They wouldn't believe. Did you notice what it pointed out there? John didn't even do any miracles. And you know what the people summarized? You know, everything that John said about him is true. Now friends, that's powerful. Here are some people not in search of miracles. They're in search of truth. And now Jesus comes walking in town and and the Scriptures doesn't tell us if He did miracles or not. But the Scriptures tells us this. These people recognize truth. John had taught them the truth. The true Messiah had walked in town and they recognized truth. And you know what the result was? Many there believed. Isn't it interesting that when we're in search of something, anything other than the truth, we'll never find Jesus. Why are you here tonight? Well, I came here tonight looking for some friends. You won't find Jesus. I came here tonight to relieve my conscience. I don't want to be guilty of not going to church somewhere. You won't find Jesus. I came here tonight because I felt guilty in the past of a lot of things I've done wrong and and I just want to make myself feel better. You don't find Jesus. When do we find Jesus? 
when we search for truth. It doesn't take a miracle to prove who Jesus is. Just the truth. They searched for the truth. They found Jesus. And many believed. They searched for their tradition of a Messiah. They found Jesus. And they tried to stone Him. Friends, that's a difference. But the difference is, are we searching for truth? Tonight, let's make sure that we're honest with ourselves. I don't mean just at this moment. I'm talking about throughout our life. Let's always say, all I want to know is what is the truth. Every subject, every aspect of my life, everything about the life of a church, about a life of an individual, about a family, about a a country, about doctrinal matters, everything... Let's be honest enough to say, I'm not trying to prove myself right. I want to find the truth about it all. And the beauty is that, the beauty in that, is that we also have Jesus. Tonight, if you've never been baptized into Christ, it's the way to obey the truth. Won't you do that tonight to have truth being fulfilled in your life, to have Jesus in your life? If you're a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men, please be baptized this evening. If, if you have been baptized, maybe you've lost focus. And maybe you've been living for other reasons. If you need to get back to living simply for Jesus, fulfilling the truth in your life, you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness if we can help you.